What's up, everybody? This is Lamont Farrell, and you're watching the TV Writer Podcast. Hosted by Gray Jones, the TV Writer Podcast is brought to you by Script Magazine and ScriptMag.com, the leading source for script writing information in print and on the web. My name's Gray Jones, and I want to welcome you to the TV Writer Podcast, partner of Script Magazine. Well, today we have an interview with writer, producer, director, actor, and comedian Lamont Farrell. You're going to love his interview, and he's got a lot of great tips. And uh, and also, he talks about some things that are different than the prevailing wisdom. And, and I'll just tease you with that. You're going to love the interview. Uh, before we get to the interview, I do want to mention a few resources. Of course, you can go to tvwriterpodcast.com. There's lots of help. Helpful resources there, like hundreds of free TV scripts, pilots, Bibles, and all that kind of stuff. Links on the sidebar. And as well, there's a database of TV writers on Twitter with over 960 writers and continues to climb. And of course, there's over 65 episodes of the podcast with lots of great interviews. I should mention that they're not time sensitive. You can go all the way back to episode one and find out about writers. It, it, just because they were a couple of years ago doesn't mean that they're not very helpful. So do check that out, tvwriterpodcast.com. Of course, you can follow me on Twitter, at Gray Jones is my handle. You can find my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Graham A. Jones. I mentioned before that there's a 70-minute playlist on my YouTube channel with interviews with John Truby. you got to check those out. Very, very cool interviews, especially for breaking in. And as well, you can uh, find me on IMDb, imdb.me slash Gray Jones. There's a Facebook group, facebook.com slash TV Writer Podcast. And I do want to urge you as well, this is the holiday season, season of giving at tvwriterpodcast.com. Click on the support tab. And if you'd like to give a little tip to the podcast, I'd really appreciate it. You know, 65 episodes, each one takes about 10 hours. That's over 650 hours of work to get these podcasts to you. And so I'd appreciate it if you if you are grateful these podcasts, then please um, give a donation. Even a few bucks would help, and uh, and it would go a long way in, in helping me bring these to you. So anyway, on to my interview with Lamont Farrell. You're going to love it. Let's roll. This is Gray, and I'm here with Lamont Farrell. How you doing, Lamont? I'm wonderful, Gray. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. And you are a writer, producer, director, actor. You wear a lot of hats. I wear a lot of hats. I'm also a juggler, a street musician. I do it all. Cater, whatever happens to be done. But no, yeah, I, I'm, a, I'm a writer and a producer, and I, but I'm also an actor as well. I um, kind of got in this business as a stand-up comedian, so mm -hmm. um, there... Um, I, and I always uh, used to being in front of the stage in, uh, as I became a writer, I started writing for TV and, and film and so on and so forth. I just uh, quite naturally continue to act. So mm -hmm. that's what I do. Very, very cool. Now, you, um, you grew up in Philadelphia. Um, tell me about, I mean, did you start doing stand-up right away or when did you, you decide that you wanted to get into that? That's a pretty interesting story. I, I, went, I grew up in a... Philadelphia, actually outside in the suburbs of a small town called Yaden, Pennsylvania, which is right outside the, uh, the Philadelphia uh, city limits. Mm -hmm. And um, I attended Temple University uh, on a basketball scholarship. I played basketball, thought I was going to be in the uh, NBA mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> as a youth growing up. So, um, but, you know, I became a pretty good basketball player and, and um, I was an All-American in high school. So, and, and I would, uh, received a basketball scholarship, but there... 
we uh, a lot of guys on the team we would go to a lot of contests on campus for open mic nights and they would have mm-hmm. meetings and they would have singers and jugglers or what have you and you know the first prize was like a hundred bucks you know so we would uh, always go and critique all the acts and i was the one that always would say that guy would have won if he had said this or if he had talked about that to get the crowd you know a little more into it mm-hmm. and the dare they said hey man you know why don't you go why don't you try to do it since you think you know everything and i was like hey i'll try and so that's how i got started i did my little first open mic and uh i actually didn't win but i came in second place to um, actually a singing group, Jean A, and they became pretty famous and signed with Motown and had a whole bunch of records out. Mm-hmm. And one of these students said, hey, you're pretty funny. How long have you been doing comedy? I said, this is my first night. And she said, well, you should go down to the Funny Bone, which is a local comedy club, and she happened to be a waitress there. And I never in my life thought about doing stand-up comedy. Didn't really know too much about comedy club, never been to one. But make a long story short, that's what I did. I went down there and I saw the whole open mic and I got the open mic bug. And mm-hmm. that was my first kind of taste of uh, of, of entertainment and I was writing my material and and that's where I met a lot of, of the Martin Lawrence's of the world and David Allen Greer's and Dave Chappelle's who would come to Philly to, to perform and I would um, open up for them as the host and those guys were like hey man you're pretty funny you know if you want to do this for real you need to move to New York or LA and really make this happen because Philly was such a small market for you know TV and film and entertainment business mm-hmm. in and I was going to move to New York, but it was about two hours away from Philly. It was too close to mom's home cooking. So I knew <laughs> I would be home every weekend, you know. So I said, if I moved to L.A., I had to do it. I had to make it. And that's what I did. So I got in my car and I drove across country and, uh, you know, kind of rest is history. Mm-hmm. Very, very cool. And, and you won some stuff. Uh, the Comic Relief Comedy Festival, you you won that festival, uh, Funniest yeah. New Comic. And, and uh, tell me about maybe some of the successes around that time and how that led into writing for television. Yeah, you know, I moved to L.A. strictly trying to do stand-up, get on stage, get stage time. And, uh, you know, like everybody else, you know, following the dream in, in Hollywood, La La Land. And so... Uh, the Comic Relief a contest they had uh, um, uh, with the Goldberg and um, and um, and a host of other um, well-known comics, you know, usually host that for years. And they had mm-hmm. a, a portion where they um, had a contest for new comedians. And so I entered that contest and I, I actually won, um, uh, you know, that contest. I know some other comics at that time, like Dane Cook and others who were in that contest that were, you know, like myself, just starting out. Mm-hmm. And um, from there... Started getting a little, you know, buzz. I had a couple auditions for some pilots and different things. And uh, actually, ironically, Brian Callen, who was on in Mad TV at the time, he was in Hangover and a couple movies. I ran to him yesterday, and he remembered my set from that, which was like seventeen wow. years. Really crazy. Like yesterday, literally, he was like, "Dude, I remember that OJ joke that you did." And I was like, "Wow, you know." So people take your material for a comedian. That's great when you people you can leave people with something, you know, hmm. they can me from it and can remember your material. So. Uh, but from there, I uh, uh, went to a taping of Martin uh, Martin Lawrence's sitcom, and uh, and that's when you know I, I saw that set man. I saw those those directors chairs. I saw those writers. I didn't know all what they were doing, but I knew I wanted to be down there instead of up here in the stands. Uh-huh. Into the taping, um, it was a script laying on the ground. I asked one of the writers, "Hey man, you know, can, can I have that?" And they were like, "Hey, whatever." The show's over. They didn't care. They handed me the script. And it was like the Holy Grail, man. When I got that, <laughs> hand, like, the, like the Raiders of the Lost Ark. It was like, oh, you know? And I just said, this is it. Because I majored in journalism at Temple. I, I, I minored in advertising. I always wanted to write like funny commercials, like Super Bowl commercials. Mm-hmm. So you know, I always was kind of funny. And 
So there I was like, you know, I could take my comedy and my writing and, and put it all together. And, and I went home and, and just kind of put together a little spec on my computer and try to figure it out. I didn't really have the format. And, uh, and that's how I kind of got started. Very, very cool. And since then, you've you've been in quite a bit of stuff. I mean, um, Moesha and Parenthood and Nothing But a Woman and and whole whole pile of stuff. Tell me about when you started in the room. What was that? What was that like? Yeah, my, my first um, opportunity uh, as a writer, I, I, I was waiting tables in Los Angeles at Red Lobster. You know. <laughs> <laughs> And a good friend of mine, Ed Evans, was writing for Living Single at the time, the Queen Latifah show. Mm-hmm. And he said that uh, BET was doing a kind of a, a small, which today would be considered kind of a webisode. But back then, it was no web series, so not even the internet, basically. So uh, they were doing kind of a three-minute little sitcom that they would place in between their existing shows and mm. kind of jumpstart to see if they want to take it to series. And they had a show called Nothing But a Woman, uh, starring Laura Hayes. She was a stand-up comedian at the time. So anyway, I just faxed in an email. I faxed in what I thought the format of the show. They wanted 10 pages of, of a sample of the show. They kind of gave me the log line. And uh, that's what I did. I got hired along with 10 other writers. And uh, after two weeks, they fired everybody. <laughs> oh, no. Myself and uh, another gentleman, Norman Vance Jr., who actually became my writing partner. Wow. He stayed and... It was kind of a bittersweet because I was, you know, all my friends, writers I met, my first writing job got fired, but I was glad that I, I was still had a job, but we stayed and basically wrote all the episodes for no more money, but it really gave us the opportunity really creatively to just kind of just go out and just write anything and everything. And they really didn't kind of shackle us on what we came up with. So hmm. it's only two writers. They didn't, they just, so we had to crank the scripts out. And so, you know, they were just, waiting for a deadline for a script to come in, we would write another one. And that really, I think, honed my writing skills and comedy and creative skills. And and from there, uh, you know, just started taking off. We got an agent. We had a, 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 a one-man show that was sent to the HBO Aspen Comedy Festival. And then I got picked up the right for the Parenthood. And we got right from Moesha and then Girlfriends. And, you know, then I've been just writing and producing shows ever since. Wow. Very, very cool stuff. And, and so, and... At some point, you you decided, I want to get my own show off the ground. So so tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, you know, as a writer, you, you're just thankful that you're you're doing what you love to do. You, mm. You're creating shows, you're writing episodes, you're, you're creating characters, and you know you meet people in the street that really like your show, and they're like, oh my god, you write for girlfriends? I love that show. That's you know my favorite show, and they come up with all these shows, and you're like, oh, I created that episode. That was my episode. I pitched that story. Wow. You know? And so, but during that time, you're really writing for someone else, you know, you're mm-hmm. writing for that creator of that show. And after, you know, three or four or five years in, in writing, you know, you start saying, you know, I have ideas, you know, I think my shows could be as successful as some of the shows I've written for. And then you start watching TV differently. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're looking at a lot of sitcoms and some successful ones, some that aren't so successful. And you're like, you know, I think I know what I'm doing now and I need to come up with some ideas. And so that's when, you know, we started pitching ideas our own shows and i pitched and fortunately opportunity to sell um a, a few shows over the years and um and uh haven't had one hit the screen the airways yet but um that's my goal now is you know i'm right, right now in my career i'm i'm pitching and, and creating uh, pilots mm-hmm. and and you've had some produced though right they just haven't gone to series yes exactly yeah you know i've uh I've sold the shows to UPN, uh, the WB. Uh, I sold a show a couple of years ago to TBS here in uh, in Atlanta, and uh, 
kind of comes back to my athletic and basketball career. It was uh, actually a show called um, Big Shot. And it was um, about a high school basketball player that gets drafted to the NBA. But because he's a uh, only um, uh, he's a teenager, his parents make him live at home. So you can just imagine <laughs> you know, a teenage millionaire living at home with his parents. Uh-huh. It's almost like the Cosby show if Theo, uh, you know, had a lot of money. He bought a $30,000 watch. Like how would uh-huh. you know, so that was kind of the, the stories. And, and I still think it's a good show. So right now I'm still in negotiations with that show. So hopefully that'll, that'll end up on, on air sometime in the not too, too far future. Very, very cool. Well, let's let's talk a little bit about um, the style of work you do. Um, first of all, it, I was really interested by the fact that you are a clean comic. And now, are you still doing any stand-up? Um, is that still something you're doing? Yeah, yeah I still, still do stand-up. Um, as a writer, uh, as an actor in a stand-up, it's a little more difficult. But when you're in series, you can't really go on auditions and things during the day because you're on set on yeah. the show. Um, and as a stand-up, you know, you just can't leave and, and go out of town on the road because you're you know, it's like a regular nine to five job. You have to be at work the next morning, which is mm. fine. When I'm not on uh, on a series or we're in hiatus and I try to get back on stage and as much as I can. So yeah, I still do stand up and, mm-hmm. um, and I definitely plan on doing it even, even more in 2013. Mm. And so, t- so tell me about um, being a, a clean stand up. I noticed that in your bio. What, what does that mean? And, and, I mean, I'm, I imagine that a lot of comics would rely on the unclean to get their to punch up their jokes. How how are you able to do that and still be a successful stand-up comic? You know, Graham, I, I uh, you know I grew up in a household with five brothers, six boys, no girls. You know, so comedy was always my father's hilarious. Like a lot of comedians, you know, you get it from your your family, and mm-hmm. so. You know, my parents, they never used profanity. They never cussed. You know, I never heard it growing up in my house. And so I remember my first time I performed on stage, I wanted my parents to come see me perform, which they did. And um, they left right after I got off stage because the comedian after me started. started <laughs> but, you know, starting out, I, I don't, I don't, uh, you know, you really use profanity. So it was just quite natural for me to tell stories um, kind of like in a, a similar, like a Bill Cosby type style. He's from Philly. He went to Temple. We, you know, we're both alumni. You know, I've actually had an opportunity to meet him. I didn't really hone my career after him, but it was quite natural. That's who I kind of gravitated to mm-hmm. listening to growing up. And I like Richard Pryor. You know, yeah. he, he cusses, but he, he's a phenomenal actor. So I have nothing against comedians who, who use profanity. Um, if I'm telling a story and that character, for example, is like a Mike Tyson and he comes out and I remember he old uh, uh, Vander Holyfield thing. He had a whole rant about him using profanity. So if I'm telling a story, if I'm doing a character you know, and, it, and it needs profanity in it, then you know I, I'll use it to, to get the point across on that character. But just doing stand-up comedy and just on stage, yeah, I don't, I don't use any profanity just because I don't really think it's necessary. And I think, uh, you know, I have a, a broader appeal and that opportunity without it because I know uh, as a comedian and uh, as an entrepreneur, because I put on comedy shows, there's a lot of people who, you know, uh, don't want to hear that. And so they'll ask me when I say, hey, well, is it clean? You know, can I come? Can I bring my kids? Can I bring my wife? You know, if not, you know, that's fine. So, you know, mm-hmm. something I've done and um, something I, I will uh, continue to do. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it mentions in your bio that um, observational skills are a big part of that. Tell, tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, you know, I just have a knack for, um, which I think a lot of comedians, just, um, 
when I, I see a lot of things, you know, I could try to take kind of like a Jerry Seinfeld. That was a he was a, a, a comedian of mine I really liked and admired. I was a big fan of Seinfeld. And you take the small things, you know, in life, the small little things that some people might not think is funny, but then you take that and you're like, you know what, that is hilarious, you know, right there. Like, you know, that guy locked his keys in your car, his car, and you know that that's not funny when you hear that. But it's funny when you see a person and you think about when you lock your keys in your car and you know the keys are in the car, but you still kind of pat around <laughs> or you don't find, find the keys and then you go and you pull on the door again, like you saw all of a sudden you grand huge superhuman strength. Like, you know it's locked. Like, why are you still <laughs> yeah. You know, so little things like that throughout my life that um just growing up, man, that you know, I said and I think that helps out with my writing as well as a sitcom writer, because when I'm in a room and you have to it's a big part of it is pitching. You know, so when you're in a room and and that shows, I'm kind of looked to as the kind of the joke guy, the funny guy that's going to come up with a funny picture or, or, or a funny story. And so, you know, that everybody pitches out ideas and stories. I try to go the back door. Everybody goes to the front door. I try to come to the back door and figure out a way. How can I could say the same story but make it different? You know, how can I tell that story differently? And um, give you a quick example here in Atlanta, uh, they have a Chick Fil A franchise. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Yeah. But it, you know, sandwich uh, store. And I went in there and they had on the door, it said uh, Father Daughter Day. I had no idea what that was, but I figured, you know, the fathers would bring their daughter in on Wednesday nights and just bond with their kids. Mm-hmm. But I took that and put it in the back of my head because I said that was just unique to me. Like, you know, I never really seen that on TV and I knew I could use it at some point. And years later, I had an opportunity to write for uh, Are We There Yet? the series on the TBS. And I pitched this episode about a father on the series, Terry Crews, who takes his daughter out on a date, like a father-daughter date, but instead of, I flipped it, instead of going to Chick-fil-A, he wanted to take her out to a restaurant so to teach her how to uh, go out on a date. When she starts dating, to show her how to properly, she should be treated on a date, you know? Ah, okay, yeah. Yeah, and it worked. They actually brought that episode, and I wrote it, and uh, and Michael Strahan, the football player, actually played the uh, one of the bouncers. At, they ended up actually going to a teen nightclub. That, you know, uh-huh. that's happened. So. so, yeah, you just never know where your stories will come from. And, um, and you know, so that, that's kind of how I, I come up with a lot of things. Very cool. So so tell me a little bit more about that, that in the sense of for people to learn this, um, what what kind of things should they they be doing? Uh, it, is that something like would you carry a notebook and write that down or you just kind of file it away in your brain or in, in what yeah. kind of things should people be watching for? That's a, that's a great question. You know, but I actually started teaching a writing class here in, in Atlanta. Uh, and that's one of the subjects that we talk about. Yeah, I recommend carrying a pad around, uh, leaving a pad next to your bed at night because you'll wake up with stories or ideas. And and or um, nowadays with technology, you just text yourself, you know. Text, mm-hmm. I, I text myself all the time with ideas that come up or a lot of phones now on iPhone. You know, you can uh, leave messages or record yourself. But what happens is, at least I do, you'll forget mm. or, or, you'll, or you'll remember part of it, you know. And quite honest with you, ideas, they're worth a lot of money. I mean, <laughs> ideas yeah. could be a million dollar idea, quite truly. If you're in your car and you're like, oh my God, that'd be a great idea for a movie. Well, that's a great idea for an episode. And if you just kind of file it away and then you'll get home and you'll say, man, what was that? I thought about, ah, you know, and they'll go out of one ear and out the other and you'll just forget it. And the next thing you know, you'll see that on a movie or on a TV show. And you're like, I thought about that two years ago. <laughs> and, and, you know, so that's what I do. So yeah, I recommend to people, especially new writers or even, 
you know, current writers and successful working writers is is to have some type of a device to write your ideas down, to have your ideas stored away. And a lot of times what I'll do, I'll come up with movie ideas or log lines and, and or, or pilot ideas, and I'll just, you know, file them away and I'll have a list. And then sometimes you'll have a meeting and it'll say, you know what, we're looking for you know, a movie about skateboarders, you know, or something. You're like, you know what, I thought about a good skateboard. You know, I go home, look at my notes, and there it is. A skateboard idea that I thought of a year and a half ago, of, you know, that I saw at a park and some kids were talking and, mm-hmm. you, and you twist it and you kind of, you know, format it for you, the show that you're trying to pitch it to or the studio. And next thing you know, you could be writing a movie for a studio off of something that you just sit in the park and overhead from a bunch of 13 year old skateboarders. Mm, very cool. So. Um, one of the things that you, t- you talked about a little bit, I'd like to expand on, is um, particularly with the, with the comedy. But I think even just looking at your bio, you mentioned the idea of being an entrepreneur, and I, I hear that a lot from writers today. Um, of course, there's a Louis C.K. example where he, you know, did his own show and marketed it on the internet. But I, th- I think even just career-wise, there's a lot more of this entrepreneurship that's needed. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, I, I'm a proponent. Of- of that, I, you know, my family uh, was in the restaurant business growing up, so uh, you know, I work with my dad and my five brothers. So I'm used to kind of, you know, starting your own thing and and and, and, and creating your own path. So um, for me as a writer, you know, I'm fortunate enough to have an agent um, out in L.A., but I never was one to just kind of sit home and, and wait, you know, by the phone for my literary agent to call me or, you know, I have a theatrical agent. I'm part of SAG as well as the WGA. So I never would want just to sit around and wait because I just know, for one, I'm not the only agent, the only client they represent for one. I'm realistic about that. You know, I know that I'm not the only person they're thinking about. And two, there's just too many opportunities out there and, and I could create opportunities. And I'm a firm believer of creating your own opportunity. So if I'm coming up with an idea for a series or, um, or, or a movie um, or primarily a, a, a series, you know, if, years ago, you could almost pitch it and kind of go in and sell it. And you can still do that today. But if you don't have a track record of having a bunch of shows on television, it's very difficult because you're not the only one doing that. There's hundreds of people trying to do the same thing. Mm-hmm. So with technology nowadays, you know, I'll shoot it. You know, I shoot pilots all the time. And you actually shoot the pilot yourself. Yeah, I'll shoot a pilot or, um, you know, obviously that costs money. So more cost effective, I might just shoot a scissor reel. Uh, for something and uh, that way when you go in and pitch it and you set up a meeting and you go sit down and you're sitting across the desk from the executive and you're pitching it and you're trying to paint that picture for them to see that world that you, you're trying to sell to them and then they'll hopefully get it and then at the end of that you can say you know about, and also you know I, I have a scissor I have a three minute presentation of this world mm. especially if it's a world that's somewhat difficult or you're trying to convince them to, to get into and then you can pop it in and you know they'll see it and nowadays with the internet, you mentioned Louis C.K., if you could go into a, a network or studio and say, yeah, this is my idea for my series, but by the way, I created a web series about it, and I'm getting a million hits. <laughs> what do you think they're going to say? They're going to like, this guy already has a built-in audience yeah. already. So now they're going to you know, be a little more prone to kind of buy your idea, at least listen and say, well, this guy is already coming to the door. Because quite frankly, anybody can come in with just an idea. Mm. And, and unless you're, you know, a person of Shonda Rhimes who have three or four hit shows on television or you're Steven Spielberg and you've been doing this and producing shows or Ron Howard or, 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 or many other producers out there, you know, they're going to, you know, they'll listen. But if there's somebody coming right behind you has a 230 appointment that's going to pitch something that may be similar or, mm-hmm. or 
you know. So I think for me, and I can't speak for more everyone else. For me, I think it's better that uh, you know I can show them as well as, uh, as as tell them, and it has worked, you know, for me so far. I've gotten opportunities from things that I've pitched or I've put on the web. Um, I uh, created a, a, a reality show, and I haven't done a lot of reality. I've done basically scripted, but you know, there's so much reality shows on television. You know, it's kind of like you know, the old westerns. You know, mm-hmm. they're, they're yeah. popular and they kind of, you know, everything. I think uh, it, it comes around and, and again. So I think the uh, reality shows for now are here. No, no one knows how long they'll be here. I think they'll be here for quite some time because they're so cost effective to make. But um, for me, uh, I watch some reality. Some I like, some I don't like. But I, I uh, came across a, um, a gentleman who owned an a African American owned tattoo parlor. Here in Atlanta, and for me, uh, you know, there's LA Inc. and Miami Inc., but I just haven't seen that from an African American perspective uh, of a tattoo parlor. And it was mm. this different world, you know. You saw, it weren't African American artists, they were, you know, Latino and, you know, and Caucasian, but it, it was just a different world that I, that I came across, and I was like, wow, this is, this is a potentially, I think it could be a reality show um, that we haven't seen mm. um, on TV. And so, um, I knew that if I went and just pitched it, hey, I'm going to do a, a, a reality show about um, um, uh, a tattoo parlor that happened to have owned by some African American artists. I think that's interesting, you know. But I don't. I think you needed to see that. Mm. So I went in for about three weeks, observed the, the clientele, the stories that came in there, and that's what it's really about—the story that these people come in, and you know, their, their sons or daughter are over in Afghanistan, so they get a tattoo of them on their shoulder, or their husband and wife, you know, got divorced and they, you know, got a tattoo or what have you, was it their child or or whatever they wanted. But um, and I, once I got those stories, I took a camera crew in and we shot um, uh, a, a three-minute sizzle reel, and uh, so now I'm out pitching it. And so when you tell people, when my agent or myself gets on the phone and we're talking about it, and people are like, "You reel them in with that pitch," and they're like, "Wow, that's a great idea. I like that." And you're like, "Oh, but by the way, you know, I actually I have a sizzle reel. I can show you." Oh, really? Oh, yeah, send it over like today. You know, let me see that. Hmm. Very and cool. I, that sets you know sets me apart. Well, in in there's kind of different schools of thought out there, um, and you've got literally like a I don't know if you know Rob Thomas. He made uh, Veronica Mars and and Party Down. Party yeah. Down actually was shot on spec. He yeah. he just went out and and shot that thing and 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 shopped a complete pilot around. And yeah. then you've got other people who say that there's a risk involved that you're not going to be able to do it as well. You won't have the production values. Um, what do you think about that? I, I mean, I I think with comedy, there's perhaps a bit more. Like it's maybe a little less dependent on the quality, and it's more about the idea. But w- what do you think? I, I, it's definitely a risk, um, and you know, I, I don't want to paint the picture that I go out and you know, and I spend hundreds of thousand dollars and shoot a whole bunch of thirty-minute and sixty-minute, you know, hours. Um, I did shoot a, um, a thirty-minute pilot, um, but I broke it up and put it on the web. Uh, it's called mm-hmm. Your Right, and uh, got a lot of good reviews. Actually, one. Um, outstanding comment at Los Angeles Web Festival uh, a couple of years ago. So, um, but yeah, so definitely some risk in it, but um, I'm not rich, so my risk is very minimal for cost <laughs> wise. So I'll shoot it. Uh, in, 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 but I will, primarily what I do is I'll, I'll shoot, um, you know, sizzle reels. You know, I'll shoot a, a, a presentation of the pilot. You know, rarely will I go out and shoot the, the, the whole thing. Hmm. Um, you know, I did shoot. Um, a uh, pretty long a version of a reality show about a comedy club behind the scenes a few years ago. But we, honestly, with, with technology nowadays, and this is my opinion, I don't think 
um, people are looking for you to come through the door with, um, you know, a, a, a $200,000 pilot. I, I really don't. I think um, if you come through the door with the material and in HD cameras nowadays, it'll look just as good with the correct lighting as some of the stuff that's on television. Mm-hmm. So I don't think people are sitting there looking at it like, wow, this, you know, I can't believe this guy did this. Did this, this sucks. Like, you know, unless it's, if, if, if it's audible, if you can hear it and it looks really good and you have good actors, that's all I want. I want people mm. to paint that picture across. And it is a risk. It is some risk. But to me, this whole business is a risk. It's a risk for me just to sit home and wait for my agent to call. I'd rather take a risk. And I'm a risk taker. And I think you have to be a risk taker. If I didn't get in my car and drive uh, two days across country from Philadelphia to Los Angeles without knowing anyone and uh, sold cars, never sold cars before, waited tables at Red Lobster, I never was a waiter. you know. Mm. But I did all that knowing that the end of the means was that I wanted to be in the entertainment business and I knew it was possible, but how possible and probable was it is how much I would put into it. So, you know, for me, yeah, it's a risk, but it's a risk that I'm willing to take. And, uh, and I think that if you look at history in this business, I can name uh, dozens of people, especially independent filmmakers and actually friends of mine who actually went out and shot films and things that all of a sudden now Hollywood is interested in because they went out and did it opposed to, hey, I got a script or I have an idea for a thing. No, I shot a movie and I did it independently. And guess what? We made a $100,000 off of this movie that I shot for $2,000. Now Hollywood's like, wow, if he could do that, what could he do with a million dollar budget, you know? Hmm, Very, very cool. Well, and that that leads a bit into... um my next question, which is now you're working in Atlanta, you made that drive out to LA and, and there's a, a prevailing wisdom out there that you gotta get to LA if you're going to yeah. break in. Do you, th- uh-huh. and you were telling me before we started about how there's a lot going on in Atlanta, but do you think that people sh- have to start in, L- in LA before they branch out to places like Atlanta, New York, etc.? Um, or do you think that somebody could start in Atlanta and, and actually, get into the business there. Yeah, no, I definitely think um, it helps to be in L.A. I mean, a lot of things are still produced in L.A., um, but I believe it could happen anywhere, and it's been proof of that. Uh, one thing about living in L.A., I was in L.A. for almost 20 years, so um, I did that. Um, but, but being in L.A. is a lot of things produced there, as I mentioned. However, there are a lot of people there. Mm-hmm. So... When you go to Los Angeles, you're one of a million people that's trying to be a director, a writer, an actor, and um, it's not easy. So I think in other other parts of the country, uh, there's less opportunity. But if there are opportunities there, then you, you you dwindle your, um, uh, your 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 landscape is totally dwindled because now you know you're one of hundreds or maybe thousands opposed to millions. Uh, to give you an example, uh, Rainforest Films. Um, they, uh, they're based here in Atlanta, and uh, Will Packer, Rob Hardy are two guys that are, are friends of mine. And those guys went out and shot an independent film, Twa, many years ago. Um, that film, I believe, I think they made almost like a million dollars off of it. And because of that, Hollywood jumped on board and was like, wow, look, look what these guys did out of uh, Atlanta. Mm-hmm. And, and with a little or, or no money, I don't even think those guys went to film school. Wow. So. Um, you know, they just decided just to do it. Hollywood doesn't really want you until they think that you, you know, they've discovered you. 
that you've done something. <laughs> no, truly, you look at everybody yeah. who kind of made it. You know, they their overnight successes have been like for twenty years. Like they've been doing it for twenty years. All of a sudden, oh yeah, that guy's hilarious. He's the best comedian out. Like, you know, <laughs> he's been going stand up comedy and clubs for fifteen years, and yeah. same thing with actors and actresses. You've been auditioning for ten years, and all of a sudden you get in a movie, and now they're like, wow, this guy or this woman is getting an Oscar, but then oh, you see on E Entertainment, they'll go back and they'll say there have been an all these Blossom episodes and all in the family from 1970s, you know, so <laughs> no overnight successes, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I think you can be successful in New York, in LA. I mean, uh, Tyler Perry, uh, this guy, he, he, he was a guy who changed the industry. He purposely didn't want to be part of LA. He just did mm. everything independent from his movies to his plays and whether you like his material or not, that guy is one of the most successful uh independent uh producers and production company his own studio now hmm. wow you know, all out of you know atlanta georgia so very very cool well so um we're getting toward the end of our time here we we always like to have breaking in tips um okay. and this could be anything this could be um what do you think are the biggest mistakes people make when they're trying to get in it could be uh, what are, what are the things that um, you would advise people to do. Um, what What do you think if if you were to give advice to somebody who says, "I want to be a TV writer. I want to be in comedy or not in comedy." What would you say? Uh, I have a, a few a few things to say, but primarily, my first thing is one: uh, you have to write. And I know that seems kind of cliche, like, "Oh yeah, of course you need to write." But uh, in this business, you really don't have a resume. I mean, you do. You have credits, but they want to see which the written words on the page. So if you want to be a writer, uh, you need to write. You need to have more than one script, more than one spec. You need to write a, a spec of a, a current popular series because the people who are going to read in that, they know the, the map, the middles of the world and um, how I met your mothers. They don't really watch, you know, some other shows that are on smaller networks or cables and it, they just don't. So you need to write and you need to write, I would say, at least three um, minimum because what's going to happen is if you give someone in that script, you're fortunate enough to meet a neighbor or someone who works on a TV show like mm. myself and they're looking for a new writer, an intern, or they're just going to take readers just to give you notes. If you give that to them and they say, you know what, it's not bad. It wasn't great, but it didn't work. Do you have anything else? You don't <laughs> want to say, nah, I don't, but I can get you something else and another two months later, they're going to hire another intern. I mean, they're not, you know, so you want to have at least two spec scripts of a current series and I would say um, an original because now people are really looking for, you know, originals as well. Hmm. And also, you you can't take no for an answer. This is an industry where you have to network, network, network because the people that you are friends with today who are P PAs and production assistants today on shows are going to be the showrunners of, of tomorrow. Wow. So you need to be network with people, stay in touch with people, be friendly with people. And when you get the opportunity to meet people, let them know what you want to do. Don't you can't. This not you can't be shy. I know a lot of times writers we are shy. Mm -hmm. but you have to go to people and say, hey, you know, I'm Lamont Pharrell. How you doing? I'm a I'm a writer. I love what you do. I love your work. I would love to work with you at some point. I have a script. If you like, if you could read it, or if not, if you point me in the right direction, let people know because you know a lot of times you just speak to somebody, you see somebody famous, and you're like, hey, how you doing? You shake their hand and walk away. That was your opportunity. When are you going to meet them again? Oh, Probably yeah. never in your life, and yeah. you never know where that could lead to. Mm -hmm. you know? So, um, and also, I would say, try to get on a, a set, a TV show, wherever you live. Nine times out of ten, at some point, there will be something shot in your town, whether mm -hmm. it's a local production or someone's coming to your town to shoot a movie or a TV show. 
try to get a job on that set as a PA or as a production assistant. Or if you can't, just try to get on a set. If mm. you act like you belong, you'll belong. Yeah. I mean, I could. we don't have enough time to talk about when I moved to L.A. how many times I just went on production sets and people speak to you. If you speak first, then they think you belong there. If you walk by, uh-huh. you get your head down, they're going, hey, can I help you? If you walk by, you're like, hey, good morning. They're going to be like, hey, good morning. You just keep walking. You just want to get I'm that serious. You just want to get in the midst. Because once you're in and once you meet someone and once you talk to them and you come across as a, as a cool guy, as a good person, but mm-hmm. on top of that, you have to have your homework done. So that yeah. goes back to the script. So you don't want to meet someone and then get to know them and then finally just say, you know what? Hey, man, you know, we have a freelance script. You have a script and you're like, nah, I don't. You know, so <laughs> do your homework first. And mm-hmm. I think, uh, you know, the sky's the limit. Very, very cool. Well, that is a great place to end up. And uh, can people find you on Twitter? Uh, you know, I, fortunately, I thought about that before uh, we did this interview. I'm not, I'm not, I haven't started tweeting yet, but I'm on Facebook. You can find me on Facebook, Lamont Pharrell. Um, uh, you can, uh, you can email me. I don't mind giving my email out. It's Lamont at uh, justjokesentertainment.com. And, um, you know, you can reach out to me on, on email or on Facebook. And like I mentioned, I, I teach a sitcom writing class. So you, you can go to my Facebook webpage about my sitcom classes for sitcom uh, 101 with Lamont Pharrell. And, uh, and soon I'll be tweeting. I'll start tweeting. <laughs> cool. Well, well, when you do, let me know and I'll, and I'll get the word out. All right. Sounds good. Very cool. Well, Lamont, thank you so much for taking your time, and uh, best of luck to you, and, and I hope, I hope that very soon we'll see Created by Lamont Farrell on the airwaves. Hey, I, I hope so, too. That would be a, a, a great thing. Very, very cool. Then we can do another interview. Talk about that. <laughs> yeah, sounds great. <laughs> okay, right. thanks a lot. Take okay. care. Okay, bye-bye. Hosted by Gray Jones, the TV Writer Podcast is brought to you by Script Magazine and ScriptMag.com the leading source for scriptwriting information in print and on the web. 